This is kind of part two, but everything's kind of part two around here. I don't know why. So what we're going to talk about today, last week we talked about um, our gifting and not necessarily our specific individual gifting that maybe God has given to us or that he has um, um, shaped us into, uh, but more, more, more so that there are two massive camps that typically those giftings um, are ref- how they're reflected in our life and some of our preferences and how we live out our faith and how we live out our life. And so we're going to come back to that. And then we're going to um, kind of push into then how that can be realized and kind of how we hope why we do what we do at Austin New Church on the community side, not just the serving side. We talk about that all the time. Um, and so I'm going to hopefully make sense of it, but I, I might be all over the place again. So forgive me, I'm going somewhere um, with this. But I want you to be thinking about today as we talk, continue to be thinking about, give yourself permission to deal with yourself. And we don't usually do that, right? It's always somebody else, deal with somebody else, forget about yourself. But no, we truly need to be thinking about our own identity and our faith and our journey, why we are where we are, where we're going, why this relationship works, why this relationship doesn't, and those kinds of things. Um, and then hopefully, we're going to look at several scriptures that are going to connect the dots, maybe scriptures that you've looked at before and didn't understand. Oh, I have a role in that, okay? So that's kind of going, ho- hopefully. Uh, but first, I want to start out. I want to start off with telling you about my dog, Ladybird, because Ladybird is like a family member in our house. She's she's awesome. Uh, she's six years old, I think, and um, we got her as a puppy. And we we worked really hard to figure out what was the right dog for us. I wanted a sporting dog, um, um, and Jen just wanted just this, a little dog. And I'm not a little dog guy, uh, but we wanted something calm in the that could be in the house and was good with the family and all this stuff. And and I had been telling her that Springer Spaniel would be perfect for us because I had a Springer Spaniel growing up, growing up. I always wanted a Springer as an adult. Uh, it's a sporting dog. They're pretty. They're, they're loyal, all this stuff. And she, uh, she kind of fought, fought me for a while. And then someone gave us, uh, a friend of ours helped us with, uh, there was actually a website that you plug in all the things you want, uh, the, the, your family, all that you're hoping for, kind of the mannerisms of your family, stuff like that. And then it shoots out a couple of suggestions of kinds of dogs you may should consider. So we did this. And the number one thing, English Springer Spaniel. And I was like, I'm the winner. <laughs> so um, for Christmas, I got myself, I mean, my kids, a dog, a puppy. And she has been awesome. I, I worked with her from the very beginning. I wouldn't let the kids take their, my dog, I mean, their dog. I wouldn't let them... Uh, play with her and like do tug of war. You don't do that with a, with a bird dog. Um, different things. You just train her from the very beginning to be very obedient, to walk without a leash. I even taught her to walk in front because she's a, there's two kinds of bird dogs, retrievers and flushers, and she's a flusher. So she wants to be out in front, you know, work in the area. And so she's by my side. We can walk in the neighborhood without a leash, although illegal. She doesn't run off. And everybody's like, my dog runs all over the... And I'm like, well, my dog's more awesome than your dog. And... And um, I trained her, you know, to sit and to stay and to do all this stuff and everything. And then I took her to a professional trainer to say, okay, she's one. She needs, like, some professional real to teach her how to do what I need her to do as a, a hunting, I mean, a family dog. And, and I took him there. And he said, okay, what does she do? And I said, this, 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 and this. And he looks at me and goes, okay, so what do you want me to teach her? I was like, well, you know, the whole finish it out thing. You know, get the bird and all that stuff. And he goes, you've already taught her all the stuff she needs to know. You just need to get her out in the field and just watch nature take its course. Just watch her, what she does. And it was amazing. This is the, the calmest, most gentle dog you've ever seen. But you get out in the field and birds start flying all over the place. And she just goes on point. 
It's amazing how her nature just takes over. And it's like she's a different dog. She just sits there by me like, just ready to go. I found out she doesn't like to retrieve. I took her dove hunting, which in Texas you mostly dove hunt. Not very good. She likes to flush. You don't flush doves. They just fly over, you shoot them, and then the, your dog brings them. Well, my dog took about two or three, and then she got tired, and she'd just go out and just hold them down and wait for me to come get them. <laughs> but she, she just like birds trigger something in her, and it's just this crazy, it's been this, this crazy cool thing to watch her around that. So we got chickens a couple weeks ago. Wow, this is weird. And, and so anytime she's open the door, she's out and she, she, you go outside and she'll just be sitting there staring at the chicken coop. Sometimes on point. Sometimes just sitting there. And so we've really been working with her because they're big birds. They're big chickens. She's been doing really good. She's not really sure about them because they're a little too big for her. But she's always, you know, around them. And, and if they start to run too fast, she starts to run faster at them and flaps their wings. It triggers something. I could see her fighting this thing in her flesh that she is literally born and bred to get that bird. But she's done good. And now we've got her trained where we allow her to um, chase them a little bit. Because just when we're putting her back in the coop, we go get the chickens and she'll herd them into the coop. Which is really cool. Until my friend a couple weeks ago gave us two bantam chickens, which are little chickens. And there's something about, not the black one, but the kind of cream-colored one that just triggers. She just, she just follows it around just the whole time. She, she literally is completely out of control. And, and it's like she snaps. like She ha- literally has a split personality um, when it's, she's around. So we have this thing. I can kind of relate to my, my dog. We have this thing. It's called our flesh. And it's called our nature that can really cause some problems for us. I don't know if you've noticed this in your life. Um, but it's, it's not, it may not be. It may be because you're a bad person. But it's probably not because you're a bad person or you just want to. And, and, and the Apostle Paul talks about this flesh thing. And he says, and there's this thing. There's this thing that I, 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 I do what I don't want to do. And what I know I shouldn't do, I do. And all this, 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 this battle with the flesh and this nature and this thing going on. And it can really cause us some problems, and it can really get in the way of things that we need to be doing um, because we're distracted by the things of our flesh. Come back to that. Jesus taught about a kingdom, uh, his kingdom where he was the ruler, but not in this iron-fisted, I'm the boss, you're my servant kind of ruler. He was, he was a, a servant ruler, a servant leader who led with so much grace and so much wisdom and so much love, and he offered dignity to everyone no matter what. He offers all this dignity to those who followed, so much so that the natural response of these people got it and saw it so much would be to choose his way over their own way because they knew his way, uh, ways were the best. And he offered this new life, even to the greatest offenders. And so this idea of kingdom starts with this good news that we hear about, this mercy that this ruler, Jesus, he laid down his life to give freedom uh, to his people. And, and it was a people who understood that they were held captive by their very own nature. That no matter how much they tried to do church right or pursue God right, that they just couldn't do it. They were literally held captive to their own nature and their own flesh. And that because of who Christ was, that they were set free from the bondage, from the consequence of that. And the result of that being this freedom. And and when that freedom begins to happen, and that greater understanding begins to happen, this, this kingdom that Jesus spoke of begins to emerge, and this is the beginning. 
So this is the reality that precedes Paul's instructions in, in the book of Romans. We're going to look at Romans 12 today. I've taught on Romans 12 a million different times. I'm going to read it from another, I'm going to teach it from another perspective today. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. This is this whole nature, this whole kingdom, this whole thing that Christ has come and, and he is, is freeing us from the consequence of sin. But there's this thing that is starting in us that is freeing us from our, from our, from our very own flesh. Okay? And that God does this freely and mercifully and has a new life for us in a new way in this new kingdom. And there's all this really good stuff. And then Paul says this to, to the Christians in Rome. He, he had not even been there yet, but he heard about their awesome things are going on. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And the patterns of the world is not just the really, really bad stuff. The patterns of the world in this day were people seeking God supposedly on the outside through religion instead of real relationship. It was, it was that too, okay? Do not conform me to the pattern of the world, but be transformed, so be changed, okay, to be, uh, uh, that word transformed comes from the word metamorphosis, by the renewing of your mind, and the word renewed means simply to make new, so you're changing your mind. Your mind changes about stuff. For me, the greatest thing that seems to, Follow a renewal of the mind for me is whenever I choose, okay, the new way I'm going to think about this is instead of thinking about how I would do this, maybe I would think about how God would have me do that, among other things. Then it says, when we do this, when we do this, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, so this happens, this is, this is what God has to offer, this renewal, this transformation, this ability to then begin to see his way, okay? Because we know that it's best, because he created the earth. And so he probably know how, how it works. And it says the grace, this insight he has, he says, said, but what's really important, so you, don't, you know this, but here's how we mess it up. Or here's how we don't mess it up. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. So a perspective is coming. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So there's this thing that this distribution of faith that the Bible talks about in different ways. Part of that is through gifting and through experiences that we've had and things that build, build our faith. For just as, and he explains why it's so important not to be too proud of yourself and to think of yourself without sober judgment. And, and why it's so, so important to have that perspective. He said, because each of us has one body with many members... And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We read a scripture similar to this last week. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophecy, then prophesy according with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraged, then encourage. If it is giving, then give. If it is a lead, then lead diligently. If it is show mercy, do it cheerfully. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And it continues what we need to be doing. Bless those who persecute you. That's a new perspective. Bless and do not curse. What? Okay. Bless and do not curse. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Um, that's a pretty good, some pretty good instruction there. You know, to go, okay, here's my life. Here's what Paul taught the Christian life the kingdom was about, right? So, so Paul gives us a word picture here of what life was supposed to look like as a follower of Christ. It was a letter to Christians in Rome, but this was the word picture of what it was to be the church. Okay? Um, and I've been in Rome. I, I, I stood in Rome and saw all these massive buildings, all these beautiful uh, uh, cathedrals and all these structures that were designed to be, to, to, um, be symbolic of power and authority, whether it's in, from, a, from a human leader or in God and all this stuff. And we were there and we were asking, hey, someone told me that the church that Peter and Paul met in was right here in this area. Can we go see it? And the guy looks at us and said, why would you want to see that? He says, it's just a room. It's not worth the price of admission. It's just a room. And I'm like, ah. It, nothing in here. It talks about this, this church building or this campus or whatever. It talks about this way of living together. And how we treat one another and how we feel about ourselves in Christ. When I read this, it seems incredibly appealing to me. I don't know. When I read that scripture, it feels really peaceful. I'm like, oh, if everyone else would just do that. If everyone else would just do that and I could just stroll into that environment, it would just be so encouraging. I would love it so much. And everybody would love me and I would love everybody else. It would just be so good. It's so appealing. And I just think, gosh, I would join that church. Right? So scripture outlines this body of believers, these followers of Jesus whose love and community was just so, so appealing. And, and Romans 12 captures it, their response, that, um, that it captures that their response to the gospel uh, was worship, right? And, and this renewal, this changing. And it, and it came with a new perspective of self, how we feel about ourselves. It said, do not think of yourselves, you know, more highly than you ought, but with sober judgment. So ourselves, how we view ourselves and others. Let's think about this morning, and, and, and here's the truth. We view others through the lens in which we view ourselves, our identity in Christ. We do. How we feel about other people almost always really reveals how we're doing with ourselves, how we're doing, how confident we are in Christ, who we are, where we're going. All right? But here's the deal. What this is telling us is that precedes then it, how it ultimately impacts then the community in which you live in, especially our faith community. It's going to inform what kind of community you have. How you feel about yourself informs how you feel about other people, which will inform your, even your capacity for vulnerable, authentic, biblical community. So it, it all comes back. So, and then it says that here's a beautiful word picture of what that can really look like. If we all just find true security in Christ and we get okay with each other because we're all messed up, right? And then we're just okay with each other, not, we're trying to sharpen each other, not just go, oh yeah, I, I thought I was better than you, and you just did that, so I guess I really am. Um, we get through all that stuff, and then real community uh, emerges, and then this, this beautiful thing that's messy and, and forgiving, uh, all this happens, is the result of that, but it doesn't happen to produce the other thing. So here's this beautiful picture, to me, I go, oh, I would love that. 
I want that. I need that. I want to be a part of that. I want to, I want to learn how to, how to, I even want to learn how to do that. And this is what Jesus taught. It's what the apostles taught. And yet statistics tell us that 80,000 people are leaving the church in America every month. So here's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And it doesn't seem like anybody wants it. So in Austin, there was a study done not long ago. 32% of people in Austin say they either go or might go to church. Might go. Something like 19, 20% actually go to church. So that leaves 12, 13% that say they might go, which leaves 66, 67% of all of Austin who said, there ain't no way I'm going to come be a part of that. But, but it's... But, if, if, if church is defined in this community of faith is defined about this devotion to one another and joy and hope and patience and faithful prayer and, and blessing, not cursing, and rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourn, why would you not want to be part of that? And that percentage of those who are coming and wanting to go is actually shrinking 2% every year. So do the math 10 years from now, what that looks like. So if there is this beautiful community available, why, aren't pe- why are people leaving it? Why would anybody ever do that? Not rhetorical. Why? Huh? Because what? Because maybe we're, maybe we're not doing it. Maybe they're really not realizing it. Maybe we're really not feeling that. Maybe so many people, maybe, a lot, maybe we're going through the motions a lot. Maybe we have this idea. So if we just understood, no, this is really what God wanted for us, we'd do it then, right? And we just knew in our brain, no, Jesus meant that, right? We do then. Um, no, I don't think it's just realizing it. I think, I think, I think people aren't really. I think people aren't really encountering that type of community. I think people aren't really experiencing this true transformation where we go. We get transformed to the point like, yeah, I want to be in church and learn about Jesus. But we, but we fall, well, that's enough. I don't have to let it completely change me. I don't have to, or I'm, I'm not interested in it transforming the way I feel about this or that or this or that. Or my community or my neighbors or these people that are really mean. Or stuff like that. Or are we really experiencing, do we understand, are we encountering this kind of things? And I ask the question, I mean, are you? Am I? If yes, great. No, why? Is it God? Did he, you know, get it right with most people but not us or, or whatever? If we all... I just think the problem is Ladybird. <laughs> I think the problem is Ladybird. Um, and I, don't mix me up. I don't want to send a confusing message about the theology of that. I mean, ultimately, we know that, that Christ died on the cross. He, he makes us new. He, he gives us freedom. Um, so we're no longer a slave to sin. But we still have this flesh that we struggle with. We still have this thing of choosing. We have this tension of what it really looks Following the way was so life-altering. Altering. Scripture even tells us that tension was there from the beginning. That it was so life-altering that people were afraid to join it. There were days. There were 3,000 people days. We know that in Scripture, right? But Scripture literally tells us that people feared to join them. Yet they were held. There were so many amazing things happening that people didn't even have a, 
a compartment for that in their brain. And they looked at it and they're like, oh, that's going to take all of me. And they were afraid to join it, although they held them in high regard. That's what Scripture says. Jesus taught regularly. So we have to count the cost of what we're, what we're moving into and what is the change. What is the thing? Nonetheless, Acts 5, when it's talking about they were afraid to join them, nonetheless, Jesus won the day. And, and it says, even in their numbers, this faith community, it grew. This thing that was just all or nothing, that everyone was afraid of, it became real to them. Here, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm feeling today. And as I think about dealing with ourselves, and if you were here last week or you listened to this sermon, talking about whether or not you are wired to be sent, like a missionary all the time, or you are wired to, to, to huddle up and care and love and shepherd and pastor one another, that those are two different directions and we wrestle with how those things work together in the church. Uh, regardless of this, here's, here's what I'm feeling. That, that, that thing that you desire deeply in your soul, that you might even be afraid of, to, to reach out for it fully, it's real. It's really there. It's really, it's really there. It came into existence the moment Jesus declared it is finished. And it's just as available today as it was for the early church. If we are not trying, if we are not sacrificing, if we are not hoping to be that church, then what are we doing? I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to lead a church that is going through the motions. I don't want to. There's just not. I hope that's. I hope that we can come together and say there's this thing that we have not yet grasped fully. But we're not going to say that that thing is not what it is. We're just going to keep pressing. And we're going to learn to make sacrifices. And we're going to learn to dig into our own hearts and our souls. And we're going to say, God, what does it take? Because I need this and I need to be a part of this because I don't want to fall short of this thing that I see in Scripture and that you died for. I want to experience with you just crazy stories, stuff that's so ridiculous that people go, holy cow, I'm scared of those people. But yet I want to be one of them. And here's what I'm telling you. You can't make me do it. And I can't make you do it. And I think, unfortunately, as pastors in, in, in the ministry, they spend most of the time trying to get people to do stuff they don't want to do. A lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of insecurity, and feeling like you're failing. It's not, it's, it's, it messes up our theology. It's not even, that's not even a biblical thing I just said. But it's their real feelings. It's just crazy. You finally realize that we have, to, we have to choose ourselves at one point or another. We have to choose. I really believe that this kind of thing is supposed to define the way my life looks. And my community and my friendships and my relationships outside of this little thing on Sunday. Ultimately, it's us. Each one of us. We have to come to the point where you say, I'm in. Whatever it takes. You know, that's what Romans 12 is. When it says to present yourself a living sacrifice, that means you go, God, you know what? I've surveyed it all in view of God's mercy. I've surveyed it all. I've tried this. I've done that. Whatever. It all falls short. It doesn't work. It's you. All of me now. It's yours. And it's, 
what I did for so long was go, okay, God, in this piece, you got me. In this piece, you got me. In this piece, you got me. In this piece, we'll see what happens. Things work out, you know. Okay, yeah, you got me there. And that's not what this is saying. It's saying, God, no matter what, in advance, here's a blank check. All right? Um, I think we have to start with that nature, that bent, that gifting. That's why we're pressing into this right now. And in, in, in last week, this week, next week is Mother's Day, so we're going to do something different. And then we'll, we'll wrap up with the following week. And so, Ladybird. I go back to Ladybird. Okay, interesting. Nature can be used for bad, even something that is, can really be used for good, right? So for those of you who were here with us last week, look at your notes real quick. This is a very simple, quick outline that we're going to do here. But I want to remind you, we talked about two things, sodalities and modalities. Sodalities are all the things of the church, typically described as kind of the universal church, that, that we, we would say, hey, yeah, that counts, that's church, but they're sent things, they're, they're missions things, they're efforts to serve the poor and those on the margins and those outside of the local gathering church. And then you have modalities, which are things that are, that are more organized and structured and are within. And we look through the different scriptures or the different giftings in scripture, and what we found is that most giftings can be category, categorized in one of these two things. So that one, you know, the, the, the leadership gifts of the church, for example, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, pastor. I, I am more, my gifting is towards a, a, apostle secondary teaching. The apostle is a mission. It's a scent. So you're like, I'm always wanting to go. I'm always wanting to go do something outside. And, and so because that's my main gifting and calling and experiences, I'm always trying to push you guys out. I'm always going. I'm not happy staying back here. And because my secondary gift is teaching, I usually teach through the lens of going. So you always get mission from me all the time. And for some of you who, so, so those are, that is um, um, a, um, apostolic leadership is a sodalic, a sodalic gifting, right? That's a sending gift. Pastor Shepherd. John Church, Pastor Shepherd. We love him. Just want to hug him and rub his head. Um, he just is a shepherd. He's just so, he's gifted really high in those areas. He'll just sit and actually listen to you. Um, I will, my shepherding and pastoring giftings is like way down here. And I have to struggle. I struggle, you know. And we talked about how, how we each have a bent. Here's the deal. So do you. Some of you guys love the vision of ANC. And you come in, you, and, you're, and you're feeling like, we go, and we go, and we go. We just, need to, we just need to come together a little bit and just let's just study and breathe and love each other. Phil, can we just do this? And you feel, we talked about this last week. I'm redoing it because I know some of you didn't hear it. And we feel guilty because we want to do this and more than that. Listen, don't feel guilty. That's you. We need this. We need to figure out how to do this better. But then the, oh, those of you who are out here just going and going and going and, and, and we're like, you need to be in a restore group. And you're like, what are you talking about? I just, I need to go do this. You also need to know that that is something that is how God has wired you. This is your nature and your, this, this thing that he has done to, for the kingdom. Okay? And so the problem is, is it takes two different people that who, are, who are gifted and called in their natural bent to go two different directions. So you're either going to rip each other in half, you're going to figure out how to Play ball together. So we talked about how those things work together. There are three points there that are already filled in everything. Sodalities and modalities, listen to me say this, are equally important to the church. One is not better than the other. Typically, 
sometimes we get defensive and we start acting like it is. It's more important. And so this divide happens in the church. One is not any more important than the other. One is not any easier to do or harder to do, more important, any of those things. They're, they're equally important. Really, when you think about the Great Commission, when it says love God, love your neighbor, that is more of a modalic form and a sodalic form in itself. Jesus taught over and over and over on both of these things. Second one is, is that each of us have both sodalic and modalic hopes and needs. We have, every one of us has it to some degree, but we each have a leaning, most likely connected to our gifting and our calling. And then the third one is our primary gift often informs how our secondary gifts is lived out or it's the lens in which it's applied. How many of you guys, you think about it, forget about giftings because we haven't gone like a spiritual inventory test or whatever. Just think about it. When you think, I would rather go do this mission project or I would rather hang out in the living room doing this, do you guys feel like, okay, you know what? I probably have a leaning one way and I think I know which one it is. Do you feel it? Okay, that's good. That's good. That's what we want, we want, we want you to get from last week and coming in today. So let's look big picture. Back to Romans 12. Give you a couple thoughts that, and I'm talking, I'm, I'm reshaping this, and so this is maybe just for your information. <laughs> The big picture, our gifts, experience, insights are given that we might reflect God's redemption. So God is doing this in us so that we might reflect his redemption, mercy, and grace. That we might reflect it and it becomes worship. That's what Romans 12 is talking, our spiritual act of worship. All right, so in order to reflect something, we have to, since we're not a mirror, the only way to reflect that is for it actually to become who we become. This is what this scripture is talking about. Second one, our gifts, experience, and insights are given that we might live a radically new, that we are made new and better story. And we are transformed. I used to hear the word, yeah, God wants to change you. And I'm like, I kind of like me. Some, some of me I like. I kind of like that part of me. And it's just, it doesn't just mean you're going to lose your identity. Here's what I believe. I think you're going to find your identity. We were having a conversation with Jerry this morning. It's just, I think the closer I get to Christ, the more I become the real me. So I, I did something on Facebook uh, last week. I, I, I did, what did I repost? Something about Easter with A&C. And one of my best friends from high school's mom posted, wow, this is not the Brandon I knew. And in a good way, she meant it as a good way. And I'm like, that is the truth. <laughs> And, but I, sometimes I wrestle with, gosh, man, the people that knew me in my teens or maybe in my twenties or even in my early thirties, they may think the Brandon they see now, that's not the real Brandon. I knew him back when, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I was faking back then for you guys. The closer I get to Christ, the more I become me. This isn't about me. This is about everybody. Okay. Transform. Three, our gifts, experience, insights are given that we might live with a new purpose for the kingdom. This new thing that's happening. This kingdom that is good news that people see and hear about it and they go, I need that. I want to be a part of that. I'm missing that, right? And the last one is where I'm really going. Our gifts, experience, and insights are given that we might be increasingly, that we might increasingly love God and love others. Increasing. We're on this trajectory to grow in this commission to love God, or this command to love God and love others. And the word there is community. This is just community, and I think it's where we typically fall short. I think we know in our brain what we're supposed to do, and then we have this one form of community. We don't know how to get in a group. Plug me into a group. I've been trying to get plugged into a group, but I'm not plugged into a group. You know, whatever. Let's, let's wrestle with that for a second. We've been wrestling as a staff. Where have we fallen short? 
when we think about the giftings of the sent, and we do all this sin stuff, we do all of it, it's great, and I'm going to be, but how do we do this better in community? And then how do we do the sin stuff better in community? So I want to I talk to you about that just uh, real quick. And this is going to be super practical. So um, I need a couple of volunteers from each section. Why don't you just come up here real quick? And I want you to hand these out and pins. Like, dang it, we've got forms and pins. Yes, so do this. I hand it out to uh, all the grown-ups in the room, I guess. There we go. This is, this, this, uh, I'm, I'm super excited about this. This isn't super new, but it, it's some information. Here's what I want you to do. Don't go to the side that has all the blanks. Turn it over where it says Austin New Church, and there's a few paragraphs. Don't read ahead too much, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide it as we go through this. And I'm going to close. Oh, we're going to run late. We'll just do two songs at the end, so we don't ruin everybody's lunch. Can we do that? Is that okay? Okay. Is this okay? This is kind of Sunday schoolish. Okay, I'm going to read as you're doing this. Uh, I put, we wrote on here, we recognize that the kingdom Jesus taught included a new way of living that brought hope and renewal to his followers and those around him. So what that means is, is that our faith journey is not supposed to be a drag. It's not supposed to bum us out. It's not supposed to be, oh, I got to go to church. Ah. Okay, or I got to go to a community group. Ah, uh, those people are wearing me out, but I got to go if I'm going to be a good Christian. All right, it's not supposed to be a drag. This hope was brought through two very intentional relational trajectories, loving God, loving others. We talk about loving God's vertical, loving one another is horizontal. We talked last week about the reason we gather here. Guys, hear this. This thing we do on Sunday is, is about God. Our prayer is that God shows up. It meets us here and does things that we can't do. It's not for you to come and hear a great band. It's not for you to come here and hear uh, uh, some decent teaching or whatever. Hopefully we encounter the Holy Spirit is leading us and really searching our hearts during this time. We come to go vertical on Sunday. Because I think where we leave, I think if we make this about all us and our relationships all the time, then we're going to be starving for some of this during the week. And we're going to be looking for this so much during the week with God, this communion with God so much during the week that we're going to forget everybody else around us during the week. I've seen it a thousand times where we teach like this on Sunday and we try to do small groups that are about community and everybody's starving for Bible study so much they can't even focus on their neighbor because they're just, they're spiritually malnourished. So loving God, loving others. We gather weekly to love God through teaching, worship, communion. Our hope is to then identify environments, I wrote the word existing, and that'll make sense here, that, that already exists. Hope, hope is to identify existing environments and create new environments, gospel environments. That's a very churchy word, but it's important. Along the northern, normal rhythms of our lives to love others. See, because you guys are like me. We're very busy with just life, right? So we don't have time to just add something to it. If we add something to it, it's not real. It's, it's fabricated. Okay, and so not to program out the gospel, but we do, we do think there has to be something there. Not to program the gospel, but instead to hopefully identify and unlock true transformational opportunities, specifically through community. None of us, if, if you are going at it alone, it will fall short. You will burn out. You, you will give yourself bad counsel, you know, um, all of this stuff. And so it is through community. Scripture never tells us that we're supposed to do this thing alone. 
that we have to figure out it out alone and fix ourselves before we could be a part of something because it'd be too embarrassing or whatever. No, it's together because we rob one another. Okay, that's another, if we don't. Okay, so, so we've been talking about this as a staff, honestly, for two years, and we haven't been able to get our head around it, but we're going to take our try at it right now. We have two primary things we hope and pray that everyone at ANC will be a part of outside of Sunday. We've always said it's one. One is just some sense of community. We've always had one form that we've taught, and that's restore groups. Restore groups where you come together, you spend, as, you spend two, Sundays, two uh, times a week, Bible study, prayer, fellowship, whatever that looks like, and then two times loving your neighbor, serving your city, going out and doing that. I still think that is a beautiful model to come together and to build on that, okay, together in community with the right people at the right time and all that to, together. And each group looks different. I understand that. Curriculum, all that, all looks different. I think that still, I think that is not a broken model. I think it works. I think it works to connect people, build relationship. If you are more a modalic-minded person, a, you, are, you desire um, shepherding and pastoring and caring for one another, just being in that long-term relationship, I hope and pray that this could be, it could be done in this form. In some way, still have to work on our sending gifts. We still have to go be a blessing and try and do that. But that we do it together with people who may already be a part of the body of Christ, who you can encourage each other and pray together and walk together. That is a really, really good thing. Some of you, though, in that environment, you are dying in two different ways. Some of you are dying because you are a missionary and you didn't even know it. And you just, you'd rather hang out with, with your with this rowdy crowd of people that you, you don't even admit that you spend more time with them than you do your church friends. But you'd rather spend more time with them, and it's not that you don't love Jesus, it's that because you do love Jesus, you really want to be around these people. And you really care about them. And you want to invest in their lives, but you're so busy over here, you don't have time to do it. And so we're thinking about, there's no way to name this. We're going to call it affinity groups, uh, kind of. I think I also call it life groups in there somewhere because I messed up on my typos. Um, this idea that this group can exist that's not programmed or forced, but they form when someone from within the ANSI family identifies this genuine community or this genuine opportunity for community along your normal, normal rhythms of life. You have struggled and you have struggled and you have struggled to get in a restore group, but you've realized the parents on your kid's soccer team you guys are with five times a week. We want to say, how do you make that your true community? How do we help you press into that? Essentially what we're saying is, how do you find your mission field that already exists? And mission makes it sound like a project, but just real life-on-life relationships. How do you find that thing that already exists and be freed and empowered to say, that counts, press into that, make it primary? How do you do that? Some of you already do that. You have ministries of people that you're with, you're, you're pouring into, you're doing this, and you're pressing and pressing and pressing. I want you to hear me say, Keep doing that. I think that's what matters for you, okay? Um, you're probably in one of two groups here, thinking. Pri- primary, our hope would be that you would, you would, one of those two things would resonate with you. It doesn't have to be on the rolls of ANC if it's an affinity group or whatever, and maybe you were in a restore group and you were loving your neighbor or serving your city. And out of that became this group of people that you're like, how do I now invest in these people, you know, really? And not feel like I'm leaving. This is this, you know, maybe it's time that you take that group and say, this is where I'm investing my life relationally as a 
to honor my giftings and my callings as a believer. So we want to encourage you to think about if outside of here, everyone who calls ANC, their church family, to be in one of two things, either a restore group or to identify that affinity group, and let's figure out together how to help you press into that and make that just real life-giving community for them and for you. All right? We also recognize there's a secondary thing that goes on that's with stages of life, seasons in life, where you may... Um, you may just need a specific teaching. You may need a specific Bible study. Maybe you're just tired of all the dudes in your group and you just need a women's Bible study. Or maybe vice versa. That would never happen. The dudes would never do that. Um, but maybe, maybe it's a season where you want to go through a marriage study and, and, and with specific couple. Maybe you're an adoptive family and this, this is something you want to do. Or maybe there's whatever that it's seasonal, that there's something that you would just really like to press into that might be specific, but maybe a six-week thing or an eight-week thing or whatever. It doesn't take the place of real community, and there's even pieces of that that are become real community. Um, but there's something like that you're already in or you think, gosh, if I could add that to what I'm doing, I think that's what I need right now. We want to recognize that and begin to really figure out how we can add that to what we're doing. Some of you are already doing this really well. It's always going to be decentralized. So I'm going to go, okay, how do I help you do that instead of we're not going to provide this, you know, necessarily this thing. So here's what I want you to do. Flip the card over. You already have. I know. Look at it. Help us. Help us figure out how to lead our church better. Okay? We're going to ask you all to fill this out. If you're visiting, don't worry about it. Or if you don't want just I'm, this is, do this if you want to. Um, let us, if you're already in a restore group, okay, first of all, let's do this. There's three things on the left side, three major topics. Um, check one or two of them that you think best describes where you feel like you need to be. This isn't a commitment. It's not a contract. We're not going to be like what you said and Jesus saw it. You know, we're not going to do that. Okay, first of all, to go, I think I'm here, Okay. Then look up here at restore groups. If you're in a restore group, check. I'm currently in a group. Your leader, kind of the area, Circle C, Buda, Kyle, whatever. Just a general area of town. Or if you're not, you've been coming to the church, you haven't been able to get connected, you've gone through the partner class, we haven't done a pilot yet, whatever. You need to be. That, that sense of you don't have that, you want that, and you can't identify an affinity group that you would, you would try to make your primary ministry and you want to do that, check that box and say kind of where you live. I know we probably have more information on, I want, we want it in one piece, so... So help us. If you're not in one and you want to, that you need that, put that down there. Check that box and write in kind of where you live. Now, for those of you who are like, wow, I've struggled with restore groups. or I'm in a season of my life now where I really want to just go at this. It might just be your actual neighborhood. It might be work friends. It might be a sports team or parents or this or that or whatever. But you want to just free up and go, how do I do this? Because we want to do some training and some equipping and some stuff to help us just go, this is this is my ministry. This is my life. And this is very real. And this is a group of people. Here's what you need to hear me say. My goal is not for them to come to our church. It's not my goal is not for them to come. I mean, if they come, great. But this is not a bait and switch where one day they're going to be here on Sunday. If they never, they're somewhere, they're whatever. I just want them to find biblical community and find the gospel reflected in your life. And let God take care of what happens with that. Okay? So it's not a bait and switch. Say you already have, and it says life group. It's supposed to say affinity group. I already have one. If you're doing that um, and you didn't even know it or you have doing it, you've been trying to, you've been hiding it because you think it doesn't count or something like that, check that box and then under there write what it would best be described as, whatever ministry 
It, it may be. Maybe your group is a leadership team working with young lives, with these young moms. Maybe you, have, you just really want to invest in that. Take that. I don't know. But, but check that. Or if you're considering making this your primary mission and you have, hey, I have this parent group or whatever that I really think. I'm, I spend more time there than ever and I'm always rushing off and I just need to make this primary. Check that. And then going down. I hope I'm explaining this. Does this make sense at all? No? Okay. I'm just kidding. Some of you nodded yes. Yeah. Study groups. If you're in a group, you're doing a Bible study or accountability group outside of anything, let us know what it is so that we can know and celebrate it with you and learn from you. And then if you feel like it's just a time I need to find something and there's something specific, check that. Now, again, this is not a contract or anything like that. So, but we would like to know which one, who of you are really leaning one way or another so we can help you find that and develop maybe a training or a program or a class or whatever to help make this happen as reality. But the first thing is teaching on it and kind of capturing that reality, okay? Take that, put it in the offering basket, put it on the info desk, put it in the box, whatever it may be when we're done here. And, um, and I have no idea what we're going to do next. <laughs> Well, I just think we need, to, we need to wrestle with it and write down, yeah, I think I'm here. Or I need this. Or just write a note on the back if you want to say something else or whatever. Don't write a long note. Um, here's the truth. This bent, this flesh. There's a difference between our flesh, sinful, carnal flesh, and, and the, who we become in Christ. But it all comes back to that moment of conquering death and sin in our lives. Or Christ did it on the cross. That's the first part. That's where we have to go back to every week and go, thank, thank you, Lord, that you came for the sinners, not for the righteous. That when we take communion together every week, that it's a reminder that he put this in motion, that this new way of living might emerge. And that we're on this journey of figuring that out because of what he did for us, that we have that right. He calls us sons and daughters. That's why we close with communion every week, and we're going to do so today.